It's a pleasure to have everyone here this morning. We're going to be in the book of Corinthians as we have been. We're going to continue in Corinthians. So Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is where we're going to be if you want to open your word to that this morning. You know, if you've If you haven't been with us the last few weeks, this is probably a good week to recap thus far where we're at in the book of Corinthians, so you can catch up with us. So real briefly, I'm going to try to catch you up in the last few weeks of what we've been sharing. Paul has spent 18 months with the church in Corinth establishing that church, and he's heard about some things after leaving them that concerned him, and that's what prompted the letter of 1 Corinthians to be sent back to the people in Corinth. He begins the whole book by thanking God for the grace that he's given the church in Corinth. And then he begins to touch on what he feels is probably the major issue that they're facing, although the church in Corinth faced a lot of issues. As we get more into the book, you're going to hear all about those. But the first one he briefly touches on is that they lack humility. Everybody say humility. Very good. And they lack unity. Everybody say unity. Unity. Very good. And also that they had traded the wisdom of God for the wisdom of man. The church in Corinth had an issue, and they were really focusing more on worldly wisdom than focusing on godly wisdom. In chapter 1 of the book, verse 24, it says, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Again, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 24 Christ is God's power and God's wisdom because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. In Corinth, Christ and him crucified, which is the central part of our faith and should be always the central part of our message, had taken a back seat and had become secondary to human wisdom and human reasoning. The Corinthians had exchanged the message of the cross for something more culturally wise, if you will. They had exchanged that which God said, this is the way it's supposed to be, and brought in things that were more popular for the culture and mixed that. Does this sound familiar to you at all? Have we been guilty of that ourselves? Is America guilty of that? It's something for us to think about as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians. You know, man is often wrong about a lot of things that man is sure about. Have you ever had kids? You know that for certain, as your kids use their, their logic with you. And you know, sometimes I think that when we deal with God and we're talking with God, it must seem a lot like he's talking to a bunch of toddlers, At one time, man was absolutely sure that the earth was flat. Absolutely sure. At one time, man was sure that that mankind would never fly. And then we did, and we went to the moon even. Who here is old enough to remember Y2K, and we were sure that all the computers on earth were going to shut down? We were sure of that. Some people are sure of who's going to win certain elections, and then that doesn't work out that way either. We're sure of a lot of things, aren't we? But God's word is the only assurity that we have as men and women of God. Amen? 
It's never wrong. There are hundreds of messianic prophecies written hundreds of years before the coming of Christ, and every single one of them has proven to be true. When God's sure of something, you can count on it. Now, we're going to pick up the story now in verse 6 of chapter 2. That's where we are beginning today's lesson, verse 6 of chapter 2. And we're going to be discussing the wisdom of the Spirit. If you couldn't have told by some of the songs that we did this morning and the prayer time, we're speaking of the wisdom of the Spirit. And by the way, you know, guys who are regulars here, you know that I often participate in the music portion of our worship service. But this band, I don't know if all y'all understand how greatly blessed we are to have this band at a church of our size. We are blessed to have these guys here. All you guys who work back at the sound booth, the lighting and all this, we're so thankful for you. Thank you for what you do. And again, we're going to be talking about the, the wisdom of God the world finds foolish. The Corinthian church was looking at some of the things God had said and said, well, is that really, I mean, is, should we really follow? That's kind of, uh, that seems outdated. Let's read here, chapter 6. However, we do speak a wisdom among the mature. Follow along with me. Verse 6, chapter 2. But not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are, what? Coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery. A wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, for if they had known it, they would not have crucified, who? The Lord of glory. But as it is written, what I did not see and ear did not hear, and what never entered the human mind, God prepared this for those who love him. So I want to take this, first in verse 6, go ahead and leave that scripture up there if you would. First in verse 6, and I just want to walk through a few key points. The first one here found in verse 6 is where it says, we do speak a wisdom among the mature. There were some of the number of the church in Corinth whom he was saying were more spiritually mature, Paul was speaking to them. And he was saying, you know, we do speak a wisdom among the mature, and the mature get it. But most of the church in Corinth was not mature, okay? And we know this from chapter 3. If you go ahead to chapter 3, which will be coming next week, I'm not going to steal Charlie's thunder, but basically they were a bunch of spiritual babies, and he says that to them. He says, you're like children. You're still drinking milk. You should be eating meat by now, and you're not. Do I have to keep talking to you about children? And the evidence that, that he gives for them being immature is that they keep fighting and quarreling among each other. They don't know how to work out problems among each other in a, in a biblical manner. And they keep then causing divisions. Well, I'm going to do this instead of following you, or I'm going to follow this person instead of following you. And he says very plainly to them, stop it. You're acting like children. And he says, but some of them are more mature. And he says, we do speak a wisdom among them. And then secondly, here at the second half of verse 6, he says, but not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Okay? The wisdom he is speaking, again, it's understood by those who are mature, but not by the rulers of that age that are coming to nothing. So who are the rulers of that age? We're talking about the Jewish elite, I'm sorry, can't talk, the Jewish religious elite, 
okay? And the Roman leadership of that time. And he's saying, they don't get it. They're not going to get it. But the mature in Christ, they get the message. Well, what is the message that they're speaking? He's saying all that leadership is going to come to dust, but there's one leadership in your life that will not come to dust, and that's the kingdom of God. And then in, here in verse 7, he talks about a mystery. He says, on the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of the age knew this wisdom, for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So he's saying a couple things here, and I want to touch on the first one, which is readily apparent, and most of us will just get this right off the bat. He's saying those religious leaders, the Roman officials, they crucified Jesus. And he said, had they known that this mystery, the mystery he's speaking of is the plan of salvation through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, coming as a servant king to redeem his people. He's saying those, those leaders didn't get it. And the, the evidence of that is that had they gotten that this was God incarnate, the Lord of glory, they wouldn't have killed him on the cross. Okay, so just kind of using logic there. Had they known it was God, they wouldn't have done it. But they couldn't see it. They couldn't see it. Why? Because they did not have the Spirit of God living in them. They couldn't see this miraculous plan of salvation. And here's the second thing that's a little less apparent. These religious leaders were so sure about what God was going to look like when he came that they couldn't see God in Jesus. And the Spirit of God wasn't in them, so they couldn't receive this mystery. And so they looked at Jesus, and they said, this is not him. This is not him. And their ignorance was so deep, listen to this, that, that those people unwittingly, unwittingly were part of getting Jesus to the finality of the plan, which was the cross and the resurrection. They participated in the very thing that they were denying was going on at the same time. Think about that for a second. Think about the depth of that. The Jews said, this isn't the Messiah. And they handed him over and said, crucify him. Pilate took one look at him. He's talking with him. He finds no fault in him. He certainly doesn't think he's a, a king, though. And so he goes to return him to the very people who want him crucified, and yet they shout all the louder, what? Crucify him. Crucify him. Blasphemy. He's not the son of God. So Pilate hands him over. What do the Roman guards do? The Roman guards, imagine being these guys. They say, oh yeah, he's really a king. They put a robe on him. They put a crown of thorns on him. They whip him. They scourge him. They beat him. They spit on him. They bow down to him saying, he's a king. He's a king. Wonder how that worked out for them a little while later. Fulfilling scripture, they're casting lots for his clothes. All the while participating in this plan that had been foretold while being sure this is not the Messiah. The people from the crowds as he hung there shouted to him, save yourself. If you're, if you're the Savior, you've saved so many, come down and save yourself. And the amazing thing is Jesus stays on the cross out of love because he's not going to save himself because he's too busy saving us. He's too busy saving you and me. And with his dying breath, 
The clouds cover the sun. The sun blacks out. There's an earthquake that splits rocks. The giant curtain in the temple is rent into two pieces. And the very Roman guards who moments before had been mocking him and nailing him to the cross stood in awe and said, Surely this was the Son of God. And it says they went away. It's recorded in the book of Luke beating their chests. Let's pick it up in verse 10. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man that is in him? Let's look at that real quick for just a second. He says they didn't know any better. These leaders didn't know any better because they didn't have the Spirit of God in them. And then he uses, again, a little bit of logic, and he says, Jared doesn't know what's in my heart. Right? Because only my spirit in me knows what's in my heart. I know what I'm thinking, but Jared, and, and, and vice versa. I don't know what Jared's thinking, but Jared knows what he's thinking, and he's saying it's the same way with God. Unless God's spirit, which is in God, reveals to you his wisdom, you're not going to have it. Eleven, it says, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Let's read that together out loud. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God, and that includes you and me. Includes you and me. Unless we have the Spirit of God in us. Once we have the Spirit of God in us, then we can begin... Everybody say begin, begin to understand the thoughts of God. You ever gone through a day or gone through a week, if you're like me, and you get to the end of that time period and you realize you were not depending on the spirit of God, you were not depending on the wisdom of God, but you were operating in your own strength? Do you have anybody honest in in the room that would say, yeah, I have done that, it's been me? You see, it's possible to be a believer and to have the spirit of God in us but to not be living from that spirit of God and to be operating on your own strength out of your own power and you're making decisions from that place that even later you look back on and say, that was probably not a good idea. (laughs) What was I thinking? The wisdom of God comes through the spirit of God. That's in your fill-in-the-blank section and only believers have access to this. Only believers have access to the wisdom of God, and it comes through the Spirit of God speaking to you. These things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. Let's look at that one real quick, verse 13. Not in words taught by human wisdom, If there's a lesson right there in that verse, it's this. Y'all, don't depend on your own wisdom when you have the Spirit of God in you. Why would you settle for your own wisdom when you have the Spirit of God living in you and you have his wisdom right here in this book? Try to mix things in from the world sometimes when I should be just depending solely on the Word of God. If I want to do something and I, I think it's, I can feel in my heart, well, I probably shouldn't do that or maybe I should do that a, a little bit differently. 
I'll try to mix in the things of the world and I end up rationalizing my way to do what I want to do. Have you ever done that? That's dangerous. Don't mix that in there. Don't mix the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of God. If you feel even the slightest check in your heart, that might be the Spirit of God whispering to you saying, don't do that, or do that differently, or you don't need to, to, to talk to that person. Just pray for that person. You don't need to correct them. Or maybe it's, you really need to go talk to that coworker. They need me in their life. Why are you not getting up and going and speaking with them? And you'll rationalize your way. Well, I don't know if they... Obey the word of God. Obey the word of God. Let's look at verse 14. But the unbeliever does not welcome what comes from God's spirit because it is what? Man, y'all need some coffee? Can I get y'all some caffeine? Can we, can we try again? Can we try again? But the unbeliever does not welcome what comes from God's spirit because it is foolishness, foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since he is evaluated spiritually. Think about that for a second. The unbeliever does not welcome what comes from God's spirit. It's not in them. Have you ever looked at unbelievers, whether they're somebody on social media, somebody who sits in a seat of power as a politician, someone who is your favorite music artist, or maybe it's an actor or an actress, and they're speaking of something and you listen to it as a child of God, and you said, that is utter folly. That is ridiculous. What they, I can't believe they would say that. Why would that is against the word of God? This makes me angry. You get upset. You start maybe yelling at the television set, things like that. And suddenly, I hope, as it, it has for me, the Holy Spirit will speak to you in your heart and go, son, daughter, they don't have the spirit of God in them. They can't understand. And you being angry with them and yelling at them is not treating them the way that I treated them when I lived among you as Jesus Christ. You ever notice Jesus was always very clear but very gentle with those who were far from him? He didn't berate them. He didn't argue with them. He didn't shout at them. He reserved his harshest criticisms actually for those who were in the church. So don't judge the world when they act like the world. And what I mean by judge does not mean that you can't make a mental thought process of, man, they're really far from the truth. I need to pray for them. I need to help. It doesn't mean that you can't hold a Christian position. That's not judging someone. Disagreeing with someone is not judging them. Do you understand that? But it's when you allow yourself to become angry and jaded and, and be inappropriate with people and not treat them with love, that's when you're judging them. So don't judge the world when they act like the world. Expect it and pray for them. I wonder how many people prayed for you and I when we were acting like the world before we knew Jesus. <laughs> Let's look at verse 15. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, some of you just read verse 15, and you stopped at the section that said, 
you can evaluate everything, but you yourself cannot be evaluated. He said, that is good news. Because that goes right in line with kind of my personality. I don't like to be evaluated by anyone, thank you very much. I don't want anybody to tell me I'm wrong, thank you very much. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it. And the Word of God just told me, that's okay. That is not what the Word of God says right there. I hate to pop your bubble, but that is not what the Word of God is teaching there. Okay? What it means is that the world, the natural man, those without the Spirit of God, are just in no position to understand the spiritual person's actions and motivations. And so that's why when they look at you, when you've made a decision that says, yes, I've, I've been engaged to this person, but no, I'm not moving in with them. I'm not going to do that. That the natural man would say, why would you not do that? Don't you need to test drive the car? And they'll think that's foolishness. But that's not what the Word of God says. That's not what the Spirit of God says. So they have a really hard time evaluating you because they don't have the Spirit of God, which means they don't have the wisdom of God. Now, how can we apply all this today? We've just done an exegetical section, just walking through these different sections. Now, how can we apply the truth of the Word of God? I feel like it's probably best that we explain a little bit about the Spirit of God being filled with the Spirit of God and how to continually, what the Bible calls, be being filled. Everybody say that. Be being filled. Okay? Because those are two separate things that happen. Listen to me. From the moment of your salvation, from the moment when your heart is surrendered to Jesus, you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right then and there, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And that's like a seed that goes down into your heart and begins to take root and begins to grow. But the Bible says that we need, Paul said this a couple different ways, but that be being filled is really, really clear. It means that every day, maybe even several times a day, as often as it comes to your mind, pray for the Lord of glory through his Spirit to fill you with his wisdom and to push out worldly wisdom, which I guarantee all of us have in us because we're marinating in it every day on planet Earth. We're marinating in it. So we need his spirit to push out the other stuff. Well, how do we do that? How do we be being filled? I've got just a few simple things here that that will help you, I think. They've helped me. Okay, number one, ingest the word of God daily. And I chose that word on purpose. Very gastric term, isn't it? Ingest, right? Why did I choose that? I didn't want you to to say just read it because how many times have you read something and then you have no idea what you just read? Is, am I the only one that has that kind of weak mind? No, ingest it. So how do you ingest something? Take it a piece at a time and then you chew on it. And we even use that word to think about something, don't we? Chew on this, right? We chew on it. We taste it. And we take it into our body. And what happens to it? It becomes what? It becomes part of us. It nourishes us. Ingest the word of God daily. Set your mind on the things above. Set your mind on the things above. If you want to write something for further study, look up. We won't cover it right now, but look up Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. 
He talks about that, about instead of setting your mind on the things of the world, set your mind on the things above. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. You can read that maybe in your small groups this week. Okay, number two, have an active prayer life that includes listening. Have an active prayer life that includes listening. So many times I'll go to the Father and I'll say, God, man, I just love you and here's what I need. You got a pen? Write this down, Lord. I need this, I need this, with a side of this, and uh, hold this. Amen. God, God is not our short order cook. Right? But what would happen if we came to the Lord? Number one, I hear verses telling me, come to the Lord first with thanksgiving. Thanking him for what he's done in my life already. And then asking him, God, what do you want to show me from the word that I just read? Help me ingest it. Speak to me through your word, Father. You know what I need better than I need, than I know that I need. Speak to me. And then ask him, Father, heal me. Father, change me. And then listen to him. What do you want to speak to me, Father? Just pause. We don't do that enough in our culture, y'all. We don't sit with God and just pause and listen for his spirit to speak wisdom to us. And then thirdly, and maybe most importantly, submit to the spirit by obeying God. Obey his commands found in his word. And obey the leadership that God has appointed over you in your life. The Bible says that these are things he's given you. He's given you to help guide you. And oftentimes we think we know better than this knows, than the word of God. So we act on what we think we ought to be doing. Oftentimes we think we know better than the leadership that's in our life. We think we have a better way of doing it. And God said, that doesn't matter. That's not your place. Your place is to trust me. And I've put them in your life. Spirit of God in obedience. Guys, I'm convinced of that. The more we walk in obedience to God and the things he's already told us to do, the more we're going to make room in our heart for the wisdom of God. We're busy asking God, give me a fresh revelation, God. Show me something new. Show me something powerful. And God's going, you're not obeying the things I already showed you 25 years ago. How about we start with that? Am I the only one he talks to like that? Son, I'd like you to obey what I've already shown you. Then we can go to step two. Let's look at Galatians real briefly. Galatians chapter 5, we read this earlier, verse 16 and 17. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit. Do you hear that? The flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. They are, what? Opposed to each other. Another version I read said they are in conflict with one another. So that you do, I'm sorry, so that you don't do what you want. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Listen to these. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, 
jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. That's a pretty big list. Anybody hear some of yours on there? Did you hear some of yours on there? Some of these are a little bit challenging. Idolatry and sorcery. How many of you guys are going, that's not me, because I don't worship other gods, and I don't like have seances and like practice witchcraft and sorcery, so that's not me. You know, in the book of 1 Samuel, I think chapter 15, it talks about this very thing, and it says, do you know what idolatry and sorcery are like? He says they are like rebellion and stubbornness. That's witchcraft. That's sorcery. How many of you guys have, have a problem with, with authority in your lives? That's rebellion. How many of you guys like being told what to do? <laughs> and nobody raises their hand, right? None of us do. Any of these things on this list, strife, jealousy, anger, selfish ambitions, oh, Father. We all want the fruit of the Spirit. There's any part of chapter 5 of Galatians that you and I have memorized, it's the next section that comes in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. all those that it lists up. Man, we love that part. We got that part memorized. Unfortunately, the part that came before that, <laughs> that God says, I want you to look right here and say, this has no part in the kingdom. This needs to be uprooted from your heart. Will you just spend some time today asking the Spirit of God as you look over those verses, verses 19 through 21 there, ask the Spirit of God to reveal it to you. How many times have you guys ever found that, that in your life there is sin there that you didn't even know was there? And it takes the Spirit of God to kind of brush it away like you watch those, those, those guys digging up dinosaur bones and, and they'll just kind of brush away the surface and then out will pop this thing that's been buried there. And God says, that right there. Now, you can't deal with that. But by my power, by my might, by my wisdom, we will deal with that. That's what he does for us. And the more we get that stuff removed from our life, the more his wisdom comes in and replaces it. Do you want that in your life today? Verse 25 of Galatians says, Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. Do you want to follow the Spirit? If you want to live by it, you have to follow it. Let's bow our heads. We're going to close in prayer. And I want to give us just a moment to listen. Spirit of the living God, Lord of glory, we now pause and we ask you to just speak to us. Show us in our hearts what's there that we need to repent from. Let's take a moment. God, I pray that you'd give us wisdom that can only come from you to reveal our hearts one piece at a time. And dig up the sins that are buried deeply within our hearts. God, give us the strength to 
not turn away our eyes, but to see it and to not be ashamed of it, but to just give it to you, Father, to release it to you. God, I feel like sometimes there's stuff that's been there a long time, maybe even stuff we've gotten used to, maybe even things we've just even accepted about ourselves. Well, this is just the way I am. God, would you tell us that's a lie? That's not who I'm making you to be. Tell us that. Did you want more for us? And God, keep it on our mind all week. Would you just keep revealing to us? Not in a way that condemns us, but in a way that gives us hope. In a way that gives us a better picture of who we are. And who we can be in Christ Jesus with the wisdom of God flowing and growing inside of our hearts. Let us be being filled daily with the Spirit of God. In your name we pray.